0: Before I feel like I should have known that song, but that is awesome. Something worth living for. And uh, boy, what a truth to that! That is that's great. Colossians chapter four. If you go to if you go to Colossians four, please. My class has heard this. We just continued. I mean, we just concluded a series through the book of Colossians, basically verse by verse through this. And so. They've at least heard the, the concept, and yet it struck, stuck out to me for this missions emphasis theme and, and missions emphasis month that we've been having that I wanted to bring it back out today, and obviously in a different way than it was in a class. And so Colossians chapter 4, and you can remain seated, we'll just read the first few verses of this and then get into it. Something worth living for. I like that. That's the, that's what missions is about, too. That's what door-knocking is about. That's why we go out on Saturdays to talk to people in all these rich houses in Temecula and Marietta. And that seems to be what they're building their lives for, is just wealth and fame. And somebody said at the Church Planters Conference, I'm not after the door. I'm after the person behind the door when I'm going door-knocking. It's all about the people, and it's all about... The people who are building their lives on something that is not worth living for, and they're realizing that more and more. And you know people like that as well as I do. That we just had another neighbor that's breaking up, and they're you know that's, that's three divorces on on our street alone. Young families who just seem like they have nothing worth living for, kind of. And everyone's kind of living for themselves, and it's panning out in their marriages, and their homes, and their families. And you think, man, that's that's. You need something to live for that's bigger than just this, and you've got you've to drive for it. That's the point. That's, that's missions, that's soul winning, that's the Christian life for us. That's awesome. That was a good song. Colossians chapter 4, and we'll read the first few verses. Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that ye also have a master in heaven. But here's the part I'm going to focus on tonight. Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving withal praying also for us, that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak, walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for... Uh, something to live for. Thank you, God, for a life purpose to glorify you. And thank you for the, um, the goal that we have to aim toward to follow your Son, Jesus Christ. And it's because of him that we can bow before you this evening. It's because of him we can meet together and hear from your word. And it's because of him that we have excitement in the life that we live. And I, I pray that even a song like that is not wasted on a group of Christians here today that it is not just some words that a nice man just sang, but it truly is something we have true joy in and that your commandments are not grievous and that, and that following the word as we heard from John 15 last week is just that, that you give us your joy and that our joy may be full by following you. There's, there's so much There's so much in there that we get to experience and enjoy as Christians. We're thankful for that. We want that to spread beyond our own homes to our neighbors' homes and to our proverbial neighbors here in Temecula and Marietta and Fallbrook and Anza and everywhere in between here in this Southern California region and beyond across America and, and outside of America into the world, to places like Sri Lanka. We want everybody to experience this. This life of joy that you promised to us, this this life of living something that's worth living and something uh, that we can serve you. Thank you, dear God, for that. I pray that as we go into this time together in your word this evening that um, that Christians in here will be eager to hear from you so that they can live with greater purpose, so that they can pray for missionaries with a greater intensity and a greater purpose behind their prayers and that we can We can link arms together and stay going forward in the right direction, doing the right things. And we thank you for this chance to be in church again tonight. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Probably three or four, maybe five years ago, my wife put together and people contributed to uh, get our missionary list together. And so we printed out some little four by six cards and put a ring through that. And for Missions Emphasis Month, I think on a Missions Commitment Sunday, maybe, we handed out these uh, just the single ringed uh, missionary information cards. On the front, it had the picture of the missionary and the missionary family name and the field that they were going to. And so what my family has done, and I know several other families that do this as well, is they just kind of rotate through a different missionary to pray through based on those. And and at least as many missionaries as we have come through our church, we try to add to that ring and punch a hole in the missionary prayer cards that we received from them and add that to it. But it just got so jam-packed. That we're kind of you know stuck in a rut now. So we looked at it again this year and thought, let's redo those missionary prayer cards uh, once again. And around breakfast time, ours are falling apart and some of the missionaries are falling out. And I feel bad. I, I haven't prayed for a missionary for maybe a couple years because they've been stuck behind our refrigerator <laughs> or something. We bring them out, dust them off and bring them back into our prayer rotation once again. But I love it. Our kids know basically now by name who's going to what field, and and um, and, and so the prayer time gets to become Mister and Mrs. and they call them by last name. and And the question always is, do they have kids? Yeah, I think they have kids. What are their names? I'm not sure. I wish we could check out their uh, some of the actual cards that we have uh, show the the kids pictures on there, and they're the they're the you know, the the never-ending babies, you know? They always pray for the babies in the family, and the chubby baby, and the, uh, the family with a lot of kids, and It's probably not going to be a chubby baby next time we see these missionaries. That baby is your age now because pictures don't change, but the kids do. And the kids don't really realize that. So they're always praying for the pudgy babies. And they're always praying for the little kids. And if they don't have kids, they say, do they have grandkids? And they're always interested in the families of the missionaries. And I like that. When we're going through missionaries in China, for example, we're praying for things like the coronavirus and for God to use the missionaries in China to see people saved. And, and when there was, there was tension that pastor was talking about this morning with persecution, we asked that God would keep them safe at church. And we've had missionaries report that their churches have been raided or that people on the uh, former church members who've gotten angry at the pastor have turned on the pastors and kind of turned them into the authorities. And if we're praying for missionaries in India, then we have different specific prayer requests. Or if any political things show up, as in um, the bombings in Sri Lanka last year, then it was a time of prayer, a special prayer for our missionaries in Sri Lanka when they came through our rotations. And yet sometimes it can, it can grow a little bit flat, a little bit perhaps monotonous, that, that we're trying to train our kids to not just say the same things every day. Pray for Mr. and Mrs., you know, whatever their last names are. Mr. and Mrs. Tyler, do they have kids? Yes. Okay, we'll pray for the kids. And the people in Romania, and we, you know, and they just kind of go through a script. We're not teaching our kids to speak a script in front of God as, and call that prayer. We want to teach them to pray for the missionaries, and we want to ask, we want them to think that they are truly talking to God about a family that's overseas. And Brother Kyle and I were talking about missions, uh, a missions intern that went overseas. He went to, uh, I think it was Russia, for an internship, just a summer internship. And and the loneliness of our missionaries that go to these fields, and, and they're the only ones trying to start a church, and they're trying to learn the language, and they're trying to learn the culture, and they're preaching. If they're going through a tr- translator, then nobody wants to hear. Nobody wants them to be there. Nobody likes them. They're preaching through a translator, which means their sermons are half-length, which means they feel like they're just giving a little 15-minute Devo for a 30-minute time slot type of thing, and it's like, boy, it's frustrating, and it's, it's really difficult to be able to do that, and as an American, there's expectations from the, uh, from the locals that they think things about us, and we're trying to break down all those barriers, and, and that we want to think about missionaries, not just as a name on a card, but that we truly want to think of them as the people that are in these countries, many times alone, grinding it out. Brother Matheny was in Romania about the same. Uh, he went about the same age as me and my wife and thinking about hearing the stories of him talking about Romania in the early days of communism and just as communism fell in Romania and as he went there in the 80s I believe it was and, and dragging his three little kids along and his wife is standing in bread lines and he's standing in five hour bread lines just to get some food for the family and, and just the, the things that they were going through as many times the only food that they had was bread for weeks at a time and it was a luxury to get butter and to think about man could I drag my families there and what are our missionaries going through what are they dragging their kids into is it, you know, we think what should we pray for them about are we really thinking about what they're going through on the mission field or are they just another name on a list and we don't want our prayers to become monotonous and repetitive and without meaning and without being intentional about those those prayers or else they can become no better than the Pharisees' prayers. The ones who, by their vain repetitions and their many words, expected God to hear them because they were so faithful in the duty of prayer instead of the habit of speaking to the Father on behalf of somebody else, on behalf of the needs, and not letting that grow flat. And Colossians, in many ways, is is a book about not letting our... Our Christian walk with God becomes something that's stagnant and rote and repetitive and something that we just do, but that we're living a theological life, not just a monotonous walk that Christians do, but truly maintaining a vibrant walk with God that I'm truly walking with the Father who is invisible to me, but I know He's there because I, I truly experience His presence every single day of my life, like I have a relationship with Him. I know Him, and I walk with Him, and I've been walking with Him. And people that, that you're witnessing to, you talk to them about the gospel, and they say, how can you know, though? How can you know that Christianity is the real thing? How can you know the Bible is real? That if you can honestly say, well, you know what? I don't, I don't have a great answer for you. Except that I've been walking with him for about 30 years now. And it's been a daily walk that I've had with a friend. And I know him just like I know my wife. I spend time with her and talk with her. And it's a relationship I have. And, and, and my relationship with my God is like that. And I talk to him not in a religious sense, but truly in a friendship sense. And if you can honestly say, people, uh, say to people that your walk with God is true and real, and that he's a friend to you, and that he's right there beside you. And you can, you can say that with a straight face and not bat an eye as if you're lying or trying to speak Christian talk to them, but it's truly a way of life with you. And I think that's what witnessing is. I think that's what being a witness is, is just sharing the... The, the message, not just the message, but, but who Jesus Christ is to you. Paul was never quoting a script when he was preaching the gospel. He was never just quoting a sermon as if they were mere words to him. But he was reliving the moment when Jesus Christ came into his life. And he was recounting the fact that Jesus is, he came to me and he, 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 he knocked me down to the ground. And he would relive his salvation testimony to these people. And it was so real to them that he couldn't help but tell his story about who he was and who Jesus was to him Amen. and how fresh and precious Jesus was to him when he's writing these when he's writing these first two chapters especially there's deep theology but it's like a theology of a friend it's like Paul literally knows Jesus Christ and he's writing about him and he says such wonderful things about him and it's like his heart breaks out in hymns to Jesus Christ that he's so precious to me And you might think the theology and the talking about who Jesus is, is is impractical. And let's just get to the practical side of our Christianity. But when we're talking about our beliefs, we're talking about, we're talking about the things we believe on the inside, but in some ways those have to come out. Chapters one and two of Colossians have been all about the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. And again, that's just an inward belief. There's not necessarily an outward expression of you telling somebody, I believe that Christ is sufficient to meet every need. They'll just look at you and go, okay, are you feeding the poor? Does he, what's he doing? No, but he's sufficient. And, and there's just an inward belief about the power of Jesus Christ. He was the creator of the universe. And, and if that's an inward belief on the inside of you, then, then that's what Paul is spending two chapters of theology and teaching you, you need to believe those things. Those things should be things on the inside that you, by faith, accept. Christ is sufficient. And that's all through Colossians chapter 1. Christ is preeminent. He's to have the forefront of every life. And, and this, this trust that we can have in our Savior, our friend, this Jesus Christ, There's theology about, well, He's the creator of the world. And he's the sustainer of the world. And he's the one that holds the world together. And Jesus Christ is all of these things. Again, though, theology and studying facts or, I don't know, theological truths about Jesus Christ are all internal beliefs that for two, two and a half chapters, Paul is drilling at and drilling at. You are this before God. And God is this. And verse after verse is just explaining who you are. And who God is. And he's saying there's liars out there who are going to try to rip your lives out by the roots. And you, Colossians, need to be rooted and grounded in the faith. You need to be established in the truth that I have taught you. You need to believe these theological truths. And it starts with these inward uh, beliefs, this belief about who Jesus Christ is. Then when he gets into Colossians chapter 3, though... That's when theology meets practicality. That's when the theology starts to flow out of the inward heart and out into actually... I mean, mean, from the inside life into the outside life. When you live theologically, it's, it's not just an inward belief in the sense that, yes, we know I need to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness all these things shall be added unto you. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Again, these are concepts. I've got to follow God. But he says there's nothing from without man that entering into him can defile him, but the things that come out of him. Those are those that defile the man. God says there is a heart belief that comes out, and if it's a bad belief on the inside, it's going to come out in bad But what you need to believe, Christians, is believe the right things about God and the heart belief about God and about missions and about salvation and about who Jesus Christ is. That's what motivates our actions. What you really believe motivates your actions. If this is true, then something has to come out of my life. That's where chapter 3 comes in. Skip back a chapter to chapter 3. If, verse 1, chapter 3, verse 1, if you then be risen with Christ, I mean, that's a, this is a theological concept he's been explaining. You are in Christ. He engulfs you. He surrounds you. You're inside Him. What He dies to, you die to. When He died on the cross, He took your sins and nailed it to the cross as well. If you believe that, if you're risen with Christ, He's arised Uh, He is risen, so will you rise. Okay, so if ye then be risen with Christ, well then, verse 1, seek those things which are above. That's where it's starting to come out, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Set your affection, My, my heart and mind, everything I think about then, starts to become, what I put in front of my eyes starts to become the thing that affects my, my heart. So he says, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. So he's starting to bridge this theological faith, belief, all this stuff on the inside. But he's saying, now, get your, get your eyes upward, get your heart upward, get your eyes on things that are above. Don't put it on things on the earth, the things that this earth is made of, that's not what we should have our lives be about. Our lives are not about the earthy, earthly things, the worldly things uh, that make up what our lives are. He says these imperatives. No, if you are risen with Christ, then set your affection. Start to turn your eyes upward. Let this, let this affect like how you live, not just a belief system on the inside, but truly what you love in your life. What you give your time to in your life, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth, for you're dead, verse 3. Your life is hid with Christ in God. The world has its allures, but you're dead to that. You're in Christ. And and you're hid with Christ in God. You are in God. This is theological statement. Verse 4. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then you also shall appear with Him in glory. Jesus Christ is life. When Christ, who is our life, this is th- your life is not surfing or Netflix or family, even, your life is Christ. The things that make up your life should then be Christ. And, and when Christ who is life, shall appear, then you shall appear with him. In glory, it's, it's like Paul is trying to just describe what glory will be. And being in Jesus Christ is like this foretaste of glory divine, like the song says, Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste, a little taste that comes before of glory divine. It, it's like, it's like you, you drive by the freeway and you get a little scent of in and out Oh, man. That's called a foretaste. You can, through, through smelling, get a little bit of a taste of In-N-Out, of the glory divine that is coming if you get off the freeway and pull over to In-N-Out. That's a foretaste, the taste that comes before. Or the samples, walking through Costco. They got us, man. We went to Costco the other day. They got us on a couple of their samples. I thought, that tastes good. I want a whole box of those things. They gave us a foretaste of the glory divine. They gave us just a little taste. The food court, they're standing out handing you teriyaki chicken. I can't turn that down. Man, I, in the food court at the mall, I'll take that teriyaki chicken every time they give me a sample. Basically, they give you a little foretaste, a little taste that comes before of the glory that a full meal can bring you. And Jesus, I mean, Paul says, what you're experiencing in your salvation, if you realize that you are in Christ. You're hid in Christ. It's like like when Christ shall appear, oh, man, it's going to be glory. It's going to be heaven. It's going to be, I mean, we're already there in heaven. God's not working on some timetable waiting for you to die. In his mind, you're already there with him. It's already eternity. God doesn't deal in time. This is already a set thing in God's mind. This is as good as done. Your salvation is as good as done. And theology says, my life is hid. My sins are nailed to the cross. Christ is life. Christ is the creator. I believe in Jesus Christ. He's my savior. Christ rules over creation. And so Paul says in verse, chapter 3, verse 5, well, if all those things are true, if all those things are an outflow, well, then, here's where it starts to get real. Mortify, therefore, your members. Verse 5, kill those vices. Of your life that are dragging your eyes down from glory down to these earthy things. Your life should be about not on things on the earth, but things in heaven. Your eyes should be on what Jesus Christ is to you and is for you. So, verse 5: mortify therefore your members, kill them, destroy them. Those vices of your life must be gone. Fornication and cleanness, and he goes through list after list of these vices that drag us down and inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, idolatry, all these things are lifting up gods before your eyes which are not God. So, verse um, 8 as well, another list. Put off all these things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. These are things dragging you down to the earthy. Lie not one to another. Here's verse 10. And have put on the new man. These need to be virtues. Get the vices out of your life. Add these virtues into your life. If all this theology is true, then it changes your life. You put on a new man, verse 10, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Verse 12, put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, There are things we got to remove, and there's these lists of things we need to add on, not because it's a, a, a virtue that will get us to heaven, but it's because of all the theology that we believe we say we believe on the inside. Well then, mortify the vices and add in those virtues. Forgive, forbear. Verse 14, love. Put on charity, he says. Verse 15, let peace rule. Verse 16, if Christ is real to you, then sing. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. This singing is not just a part of our service, it's an outflow of Christianity. It's an outflow of Christ being hid in me and getting a taste of the glory that is to come, a little bit of what could be, uh, of what Christ wants in us. He's given to us through the Holy Spirit that that must flow out of you. And Christianity is not just an inward belief, but it affects wives, verse 18. It affects husbands, verse 19. I mean, it, it, it affects the way we our spouses, the way our relationships work, it affects our children. It affects what we teach our children to obey their parents. That's not just a, a an obedience statement. That's a theological statement saying, if I'm hidden Christ, then then I I, I choose to obey my parents. The children's the children will say, verse twenty one fatherhood is approached. Verse 22, servants, if you're an employee or a servant, then, then do what you do as unto God, not the bad boss that you have, but as unto God. Verse 23 says that. Whatever you do, whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. This just sums up the, the life purpose of people, that my life becomes what I'm to do for God not out of, a, not out of a, a rugged duty that I must do this, but because of the theology of being in Christ. Christ is life. Now, the chapter divisions aren't inspired. The chapter divisions were added after the Bible was written, but the thought doesn't change at chapter 4 where we began our reading. This is just a continuation of that same thought that that practicality flows out of theology. That theology is the starting point for our belief system, but it flows into our families and into our workplace and into everything that we do. Masters, give to your servants. If you're an employer, then take care of them. That which is just and equal, it it overflows into everything. But here's where we're going to focus tonight. Verse 2, continue in prayer. Look at chapter 4, verse 2. Continue in prayer. And watch in the same with thanksgiving. Again, the outflow of theology is this Christian life that we're living. And one of the aspects of my Christianity is that I'm a praying person, that I become a praying person, that prayers become not just a a flat tradition that we follow just because we're supposed to, but that truly I want to continue in prayer, that I want to stay with it. And I want to keep on going that I never want to let go. Abe, you want to help me out again? Abe always asks me to help, to, to help me out. Now, as an outflow of Christianity, one of the parts about what we do is that we pray together. All right, so we're going to link arms, but we don't, just, we don't just pray one time. We're continuing, buddy. All right, so we're still going in prayer. Are you getting worn out? Say yes. Yes. Oh, he's getting so tired. You want to go sit down? Yeah, yeah, say yes, say yes. Okay, go have a seat. No, 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 stay with me. Come on. We're continuing in this prayer. I'm not going to let you give up. We're going to continue all the way around. Are you getting really worn out now? Say yes. No, you're supposed to say yes, you disobedient kid. we are He's getting so worn out and so tired. See him bending over, he can't even make it. We're going to continue, though. We're going to keep on going. We're going to keep on trudging on. This is the job that we have to do. Come on, Brother Kyle, you continue with us as well. And we're dragging others along, too. We're continuing in prayer. We're keeping on going. And this is the job as Christians is to continue in prayer and to bring others along on our journey as well. Thank you, guys. Have a seat. Good job continuing we made it all the way around this huge circle he's so worn out now but there's things that will distract us and cause us to get our eyes off of prayer and there'll be distractions as if I'm too tired to pray or I'm too distracted to pray or I'm too busy to pray or I can't pray I don't know how but prayer just is this this outflow of theology if I'm if if I'm a Christian Paul just says well then sing and Treat your wife right and treat your husband right. And if you're a kid, obey your parents. And if you're an employer, then treat your employees right. And if you're an employee, then treat your boss right. Do everything for the glory of God and and be a praying person. And continue in prayer and keep on going in prayer. And don't let anything derail you in your prayer life. Don't ever get distracted. Don't ever turn back. Continue. Keep going. Continue in prayer. Now look at the rest of the verse in verse number 2. And watch in the same with thanksgiving. Watch in the same with thanksgiving. Prayer is this thing that changes that changes us because we're the ones that are that are attentive, not necessarily because God is changing. Prayer is a thing that when Brother Landy was here a couple of weeks ago on a Wednesday night, it was an awesome sermon. You need to come to Wednesday nights; they're awesome. What he did in just ten minutes was 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 explain the need for prayer for missionaries, and that we got to hear that it was it was wonderful. And he he said that a missionary explained it, or a past uh, maybe a Puritan author type of uh, mind said that prayer is. Like casting yourself out into a little boat away from land a little ways, and you take a rope with a hook on it, and you cast the rope to the land, and it hooks onto the land, and you're pulling on the rope. It's not like you're pulling the land to you. You're there floating in a boat, and you cast the hook to land, and it sinks into the dirt, it's anchored into the dirt that's there. When you start pulling on that rope and anchor your feet into the boat, It starts pulling you toward the land. And if God is that anchor in our lives, and if prayer is you casting the rope out to God and hooking into the anchor, you're in this life boat that's floating out. Prayer doesn't necessarily change God to suit your needs. Many times what God does through prayer is changes you to suit God's needs. And it pulls you closer to God. And it pulls your will closer in line with His will. And it gives you His desires for your heart like He gives you the desires of your heart. He puts His desires, His godly desires upon your heart. And He opens your eyes to the doors that are, that are right in front of you that were always there, but prayer just kind of exposed your own heart to see that I should actually step through those doors now. And it's not that opportunity was not there, but it's that when I pray and I drag myself closer to God, it's like I'm realizing that this life is not made up of earthy things, but spiritual things, of heavenly things, not on things on the earth. And that my life is a a theological life more than a physical life. And that my life becomes not what I, I do so much as really what I believe and I'm believing by faith in in invisible things, and I'm believing in prayer, an invisible spoken out loud thing that I'm saying, I believe there's a God that can hear me, and that can change me, and that can do something about my problems, that when I speak my problems out loud into thin air, there's a God that hears me? And to the non-spiritual mind, the natural mind, hearing about prayer would be crazy talk be talking into thin air and expecting the universe to do something about it, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen, they say. And yet Paul says, no, if you believe this, if you're saved, if this is who you are, then watch in the same with thanksgiving. When you pray, you're watchful. You're expecting God to make changes, and that's when God changes you. Watch in the same with thanksgiving, this watchful prayer, this attentive, this hopeful prayer that God is going to do something to come through for me on the other side. And I'm expecting by faith. I'm not just blind to life. Prayer, prayer is not just a a wishful thought that we speak out there into existence and then Jesus take the wheel. I guess I'm just going to live passively now. I guess prayer just kind of is this this thing that I cast off into the abyss and see what happens. No, it's a watchful Um, expectant type of prayer it's not without personal responsibility it's that I'm still to be watchful with thanksgiving there's um, a group of guys group of three guys that uh, that were trying to break a land speed record going from New York City to Los Angeles in a little car they put an extended gas tank in their trunk and they had people waiting there. They only filled up four times in that whole time. They had people waiting at gas stations with two gas pumps ready to go and they filled up their gas tank and they had a police scanner on there and they had a GPS on there and, and they had two drivers that would rotate back and forth and take uh, naps in between. They had a guy in the back seat with binoculars and he was looking for speed traps. He was looking for helicopters, (laughs) and he was watching for the black and white cars, and he was watchful. He was intensely watchful, and they never got pulled over. They made it in something like 27 hours. I do not recommend that, but that is a fast trip from New York City to Los Angeles. But you talk about, I bring that up because anytime you're breaking the law or breaking the rules, you know, it makes you 10 times more watchful the adrenaline rush that of getting caught. The adrenaline just makes you extremely on high alert. It gives you that in, it gives you that focused vision. It gives you that expectation that something is around any corner, and so I'm on high alert, man. I'm ready to slam on those brakes, and we have made sure our brakes are okay. <laughs> Being watchful in prayer, in some ways, he's saying, should be should be so alert to God doing something in your life that it's like, I can't wait to see what God does with this prayer request. And an outflow of my Christian life is that, is that I'm on the edge. I'm looking forward to, to, to God doing something. And already what God does with that is He changes your perspective about your, your prayer requests. And Paul says, when you pray like that and when you're watchful like that, then, then you do it with Thanksgiving. And it's interesting that he adds that phrase in there that with thanksgiving shows up when I pray because as I'm praying I, maybe something that I'm so disturbed about that I'm so that I'm so beat up about and this it, it maybe something that it's a care that I'm trying to cast on God or maybe it's something that that seems like a hopeless situation humanly speaking but you know what God does when we pray and we're watchful in the same It's like when you cast that rope out to God and you start dragging yourself through prayer toward God, then God says, I'll change your perspective and I can can show you that even in this, what seems like a hopeless situation, there's something to be thankful about. And you're watching in the same with thanksgiving, you're watchful, waiting for God to do something and already thanking Him for doing it. When we walk with the Lord in the light of His word, what a glory He sheds on the way. Then in fellowship sweet, we'll sit at his feet or we'll walk by his side in the way. What he says, we'll do. Where he sends, we'll go. Never fear. Only trust and obey. I'm, I'm believing that God can change me. I'm trusting him and I'm going to be watchful in prayer. I'm going to be watchful in expectant prayer. Watching for dangers. Watching for anything that will slack away from that, uh, from that watchfulness, watching for anything that can, that can distract me, watching with alertness, expecting God to answer. Not with our perspective, but with his. In verse number three, what do I pray? Well, when we're praying for missionaries, too, or for ourselves, whatever we're praying for, verse three, with all praying also for us. About what? That God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ. For which I'm also in bonds. If you don't want your missionary prayers to go flat, then this is what the missionaries are asking us to pray for them about. Paul the missionary is writing to a supporting church. We can think of it like that. As a missionary writes to us as a supporting church. And what Paul's prayer request is, All right, pray for us. That God would just open doors for us wherever we go. That, that God would open, and that's why we use the term, God, would you open up a door for, th-? those are terminologies, not just human speak, but that's Bible speak right there. From this verse right here, that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ moving us to God. God, would you give us the chance? Would you open up these opportunities for us to be able to preach the word to somebody, for us to be able to uh, uh, tell people the gospel, how the gospel has changed me? God, would you use, would you use me to be a, uh, a light to somebody else? That's what we should pray for our missionaries about. And, and we pray for ourselves for that, and we pray for the missionaries to be able to do that. And, and not just a, a lifestyle evangelism kind of thing, not just that they would live godly lives within the culture, but truly the prayer request is, look at it in verse 3, would open us unto us a door of utterance, to utter something, to actually speak the mystery of Christ, for which I'm also in bonds. Paul probably wouldn't have been in bonds if he had just done the lifestyle evangelism thing of just being a good guy and being a nice guy, having all these inward beliefs... But truly, the world did hate Paul, and they locked him up in shackles because of him speaking who Jesus Christ was. And Paul says, I still want to continue to pray, and I want you to pray for me, that God would give me the chance to keep on preaching the gospel, that God would give me the chance to keep on revealing the mystery, the thing that they didn't, the Jews didn't understand about the Old Testament. I want to explain that and unveil or reveal the mystery of Christ. I want to be able to preach Jesus Christ. And they don't like it. It's obvious because I'm here in jail. I'm here in these bonds because of my preaching about who Jesus Christ was. But I want to keep on preaching Jesus. And I want my life to be preaching about Jesus. And, and, and it would be nice to be out of jail, to be able to preach more people. But would you, would you just pray that God would keep on opening doors here in jail? And that's what, that's what the missionary's request was. That verse 4, that I may make it manifest As I ought to speak. There's that speaking again. Utterance and speaking the mystery and that I ought to speak. That yes, God, I want to be able to have these opportunities to witness. I want to speak and God, would you give us that? Paul says, well, walk in wisdom and redeem the time. And let your lives be These lives that are redeemed people trying to live every moment for Jesus Christ. Live every theological moment with their eyes on heavenly heavenly things, not on earthly things. Verse 6, I want my speech to always be with grace. Um, I'm sorry, verse uh, 5. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without. Again, this this walk that I have is always toward other people. Always toward seeing other people drawn toward Jesus Christ. My my walk, my lifestyle is not not something I'm ignoring, but truly I'm living to bring other people through my testimony to Jesus Christ, through my speech. Verse 6, always seasoned with grace, always charming and Christian and lovely in what I say, in the way that I say it, seasoned with salt, just a precious way of saying it, not turning people off through the gospel, not intentionally trying to make people mad through the gospel. That's not the right way to preach the gospel, he says. But let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how to answer every man. And so when we're going into this mission season, this is a prayer for ourselves, and this is a good way to think about how can we pray for the missionaries? Brother Kyle is going through a whole new list of missionaries, getting all their kids' names. I think it's good to remember the missionaries' kids' names. Our bulletin has the McGeorge's um, children's names listed out in there. I think it would be good to pray for them by name and when they come to our church to greet them by name and actually ask them um, um, which one they are and try to remember their names and talk to them about about how big of a fish they caught. That's part of the way they're supporting their family there in Nauru. As they go fishing, catch big old fish every single day. All the boys are being raised as fishermen and so you can you can connect with them and talk to them and say that you're praying for them and read their missionary updates and pray for for the kids and pray for their health and for their safety and pray for their life in general. And he's putting, Brother Kyle's putting together the children's names, trying to get birthday information maybe on there, their field information, updated pictures. So it's not just, you know, praying for the chubby baby every year and year and year, but trying to get updated pictures and watching them grow up with your kids or with your grandkids or with the kids of this church. But I think one of the most important prayer requests we can constantly remember is the reason our missionaries are out on the field is that they have the same prayer request as the Apostle Paul. Pray for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance. I just want to reveal the gospel. I just want to reveal Christ to these people. I I just, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. I want to reveal Jesus Christ. I want to reveal God to them and speak the gospel. So prayer for missions, pray in many ways or maybe the most simplified way, pray that they can preach the gospel. When we receive those, I think on Missions Commitment Sunday, uh, I think it would be a wonderful thing. We're even going to put a bigger ring on it so you can add more uh, missionary cards as it goes throughout the year. I think it will give it some bigger expansion possibilities for that. But don't forget our missionaries in prayer. And then as you pray for the missionaries, watch God change you and watch God open doors up in your life as God draws you closer to Him through prayer as well. Would you all please stand? We're going to sing an invitation song tonight. We're going to have an invitation and prayer again. It's just a time where God is watching for us and He's asking something of us. We're going to sing um, 826 tonight. I've decided to follow Jesus. Prayer is our time to ask God to help us and to change us and to grow us. And if you're not if you're not willing to walk through those doors when God opens them, then maybe it wouldn't be a prayer that you pray. Maybe there's a fear there of even asking God to put doors in front of you because you feel like, oh, I haven't walked through them before. I don't know if I'll start. I think what Paul is saying is, look, don't just let theology be something on the inside, but let it come out through prayers. And let God change you through your prayers. And pray for us and pray for yourself that God would give you open doors to present and preach the gospel to people. We're going to sing 826. I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Father, I pray that as I talk to you now, as everyone in here listens to you now, that all of us become stronger prayer warriors after tonight, that that every church member becomes more intimate, more closely walking with you, more intentional about the way we pray and the way we teach the little disciples in our homes to pray. I pray, dear God, that uh, we learn to be uh, so careful with our words that they don't become rote. That seems to be one of the things you condemn so often when your son was on the earth, when he was dealing with the Pharisees who seemed so good on the outside. But I don't, I don't want to have a fake outside. I want to truly walk with you and let that show up and come out in our walk um, in the way that I pray and talk with you. So help us, dear God. I, I pray that you help every church member to be more true in their, in their prayer and their devotion to you. So God, as we sing to you, I pray that there's somebody that would be willing to ask you that tough question. God, would you put more doors in front of me? Would you Help me to remember to be a better prayer warrior this week and this month, for our missionaries maybe especially. So bless us and help us tonight, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.